Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Try it again. Good morning, everybody. See, I, I just feel better when you guys are so energetic like that. It just Isn't it a better feeling that way? Well, this morning we begin a new series, and um, what I like to do, and uh, you know, I used to feel funny about this when I was younger, about uh, preaching similar things with irregularity, but then as you get older and you understand more of the scriptures, that the scriptures repeat themselves a lot, don't they? And the reason for that is because how many of you know we don't get it on the first or 15th try, right? We got to keep getting it, get to, oh, I finally got it. And don't you hate it when you share with somebody and they don't get it, they don't get it. Then they talk to somebody else and you've been sharing 10 years and then they show up to you and they say, hey, you know what, so-and-so said this and I, I go, and you think, I've been telling you that for 10 years, okay? And they get the credit for that? Anybody know what I mean on that one right there? It just means it takes a while. But so with that said, uh, I'm gonna talk on um, the Passion Week of Christ, not everything, but I like to rehearse these things every year. Same thing with Christmas because there's so many little nuances to the stories, right? So what we're gonna do in the next three weeks is today we're gonna look at the, the trial uh, of Caiaphas. I'll get more of that in a second. But how many of you, which is probably all of us, have ever received that favorite thing in the mail, a summons to be on a jury? Anybody receive that? How many really enjoy that one a lot, right? I know some people that really want to... Get, how many have been on a jury? You made it in the, on the jury. You made it on the jury, huh? Yeah. I, I got close, but uh, no cigars, like they used to say. And I didn't really want to be on it, but some people do like... How many, honestly, like being on a jury? Okay, we have a class for you later on. <laughs> now, how many of you have ever been called to testify in a courtroom? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, those of you that have done it, I've done that one time. Now, for me, this was my experience. It felt so weird. Can anybody relate? When I was walking up there, when they called me to go testify, and I was walking up to go sit there in that little box... I, I, I honestly felt like I was on trial. I felt like I'm guilty and I didn't even do anything, you know. It was like, it was just the weirdest feeling having to go up there and then you have to walk through everybody and they're all looking at you and so I go, what are you looking at? And I didn't say that. So, uh, but courtrooms are interesting. But trials are interesting. So we're gonna talk about a trial today and next week too. Today will be the second of six trials of Jesus. It's the one before Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time. Uh, the first one was before Annas. But next week, we will travel, and we're going to look at the trial before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. His trial is trial four and trial six. Because in the middle, he will send Jesus, trying to get rid of him, because he doesn't want to make a decision. He knows Jesus is innocent. He's going to send him to Herod. Herod's going to get Jesus, send him right back. And we'll see that next week. So that's these next two Sundays. And then on Good Friday, we're going to have Good Friday services. They're one hour long. They're not going to be here. They're going to be in Harup at our campus there. Now, the reason for that, 4.30 and 6. The reason for that is here on Thursday, Friday and Saturday, 
We have the Easter Avenue, the lights out there. It's a really cool thing to drive through, bring kids through, tell our neighbors to drive through. It's just a, a neat thing that we did last year for the first time, and we thought it worked really great, so we're going to do that again. Then, on Easter Sunday, what's going to happen is our campus in Rupa is going to have two services. I, I can't remember the times off the top of my head, but it, you can look them up. Our Riverside, New Beginnings Riverside now will launch that day. That'll be their first launch. They're in there now, this Sunday next, working out the kinks for in that new facility. And I remember doing that 30 years ago. And then here, we'll have three services, uh, one at 7.30, no child care at 7.30, and then 9 and 10.30 uh, with child care. So invite friends. This is kind of that one time of year that many people will come to church who normally would not come to church, Okay. So be thinking about that. Get that in the forefront of your mind. So today we're going to look at this trial of Jesus for Caiaphas. I'm going to give you three things today with a lot of things in between. Then at the end, I'm going to try to drive that thing home. Sound like a plan so far? Okay, here we go. Number one in your notes, and that's this. The trial is rigged. No, duh, right? We kind of, most of us know that, correct? It's a rigged trial that Jesus is walking into. Now I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bible, it's Matthew 26 is our key text that we're going to utilize today. We'll stay in there the whole time. Any cross-referencing, we'll put it up on the screen for you. But I'm going to read verse 57 to 61. It says this. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. So now they've got him, they take him, and now he's going to Caiaphas to the second trial after Annas, the high priest where the scribes and elders were gathered together. Notice the scribes and elders were all gathered there. But Peter was following him at a distance. Say distance. distance. Better, say distance again. Distance. As far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony. Say false testimony. False. Yeah. Against Jesus so that they might put him to death. All right. All right. You see where they're going with this. Verse 60. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward, but later on, two came forward. Okay. Verse 61. And said, here's what they said about Jesus. This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Okay. Let's take this and let's start breaking down some things in here about this rigged trial of Jesus Christ. Now, question for all of you. How many of you this morning at 3 a.m., you woke up to a commotion in your house because all your relatives, your coworkers, the people you work out at the gym with, all your friends in the neighborhood, they all showed up at your house and then you're, they're in your living room having a good time. How many had that this morning? Anybody? Nobody. Good, because if you did, then something's wrong with your family, okay? <laughs> no, you were asleep, right? That doesn't happen. But in the trial, the first thing we find is they bring Jesus before Caiaphas. At 1.30, they arrest him in the garden. At 2 o'clock, he goes before Annas, first trial. At 3 o'clock, he's now before Caiaphas, 3 o'clock in the morning. And did you notice how many people are gathered there? There's a load of people gathered at Caiaphas' house at 3 o'clock in the morning. Question, is it rigged? You know it's rigged. You know they've set this thing up. They want to get him because you don't have a crowd of people like that at your house at three o'clock in the morning like that. This is a rigged trial. Now, my question would be this. Why? Why do these 
religious slash political leaders want Jesus dead? What is it about him that really, really gets him? I'm going to give you three things in your notes. Here's why they want him dead. There's a few more, but I'll give you three. The first one is this. It's jealousy. They're very jealous of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, the one who's going to tell us that is Pontius Pilate. Put it up on the screen. Watch this. In Mark 15, 9 and 10, it says, Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release free the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Isn't that interesting? But did you notice at Pilate's trial, he's called the king of the Jews? Anybody catch that? The first three trials are religious. They're going to get him on blasphemy because they're the Jewish people, right? They want to get him on that. But after that, they rush him to Pontius Pilate, and they're going to try to get him on treason, trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. So they switch the tactic from blasphemy to, oh, he's the king of the Jews, that's what he said. So this is, you need to do something about that, Pilate. But in there, you find that they're jealous. They're envious of Jesus. That's the first thing we find. Another problem they have with him is this. It's a power problem. They like power positions in life, huh? Now watch what it says in John 11. It says this. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. Now watch. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Are they worried about losing position and power? Yes, they are. They're jealous of him. He's very popular. They're gonna, I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my power. I want him dead. But it doesn't end there. The third one is this. It's a money issue. Wow. How does money always come into these things, huh? Boy, there's where the corruption really comes into play, huh? The root causes are right there. The love of money is the root of all the evil. Now, the love of it. Not money itself, but the love of it. Now, watch. Watch in John 2, 14 and 15 overturning the tables and the money changers it says here and he found in the temple those who are he is Jesus those who are selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables this is the temple mount guys and he made a scourge of cords Jesus gets, makes a whip isn't that awesome and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables now what is going on here? Well, if you were with us on Tuesday night Bible study, you watched it afterwards, you know that the Temple Mount is pure corruption. It's all about making money off everyone. And they're making all kinds of money off there. And Jesus knows it. And so he comes and overturns the tables and he stops what's going on there because nothing but greed is driving the religious political leaders. So now you have jealousy. They're afraid of losing their power positions and greed. Those are three big deals of why they want Jesus dead. They want this guy out of the way. Amen? Okay, good. Now we come there. Now, here's the question. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. He's on trial. Is it light or dark at 3 a.m.? It's dark, yeah. It's dark. Question. Was it legal or illegal to try a man at night? It was illegal. So now you see they're breaking their own law. And they're rushing to judgment now. They're trying Jesus in the dark. That's the first problem. Now, Matthew says they brought witnesses to testify. What kind of witnesses did they bring? 
false witnesses, which is a nice way of saying they are what? They're just liars. They're just bringing liars is all they're doing. Now, if you caught the specific of the lie that they spread about Jesus, they said this. They testify and say, Jesus said that he is able to destroy the temple of God and then raise it up in three days. Question, is that what Jesus said? The answer is no. Look what Jesus really said in John 2 in that situation. It says, Jesus answered them. Here's what Jesus said. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. It's not even close, right? Because Jesus was talking about the temple of his body and they're all thinking it's the temple proper which is this massive stone structure. So they lie and they twist it. So now you see that they're trying them at night, illegal, that they have false testimony. They're lying, and they're all set up there at 3 o'clock in the morning. Is it rigged or not? Oh, but it doesn't end there, though. Did anybody notice what Jesus doesn't have there at the trial? He doesn't have representation. He doesn't have a lawyer. Do you know their own law said that they're allowed representation? They're supposed to have it. They didn't give that for Jesus. They did not care. Uh Uh-uh, we don't want to hear one word that guy has to say. So now you find out because they're jealous, because they like their positions of power, and in their positions of power, they get filthy rich. They want to get rid of Jesus, so they're all gathered at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's dark, illegal, try a man. Uh, They're all lying about him, and also, he has no representation. So question, is it rigged? It's a rigged trial. All the way, it's a rigged trial. But now, let's move on and see what else is going on that, that early morning. That's point two. During the trial, Jesus breaks his silence, proclaiming himself to be, say, son of man. Again, son of man. So he breaks silence. Now watch uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 62. Here we go. It says, The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? Because remember, they're throwing all this false testimony at him. Do you not answer? What is it these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept Silent. That's right. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. That's a direct question, isn't it? Now let's start with Jesus being quiet. So they're hurling, hurling all these false accusations against him. When you are being lied about, lied about what's the one thing you want to do? Defend yourself. Defend yourself, huh? Yeah. Jesus stays quiet. That's interesting to me. Now, does Jesus know they're lying? Is it probably pretty hostile in there? Let me show you what to do when you're dealing with situ- this wisdom right here. Let's go to Proverbs. This is one of multiple verses in Proverbs that speak the same truth. Watch what the writer of Proverbs says. Do not, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Fool means stupid. That's what it means. And in the root, root of it is fleshly. And the word despise means to disrespect. Haven't you ever shared with somebody and they just get reactionary, reactive, and they raise their voice? Ever notice that? And then they go on the attack. Anyone notice that? This is really a, a problem in our country right now. Is it not? You know why? Because they're a nation of children emotionally. You say, that's not true. It is true. Broken families, they don't raise up healthy emotional people. We need fathers in the homes. And they're negating the father in America right now. I'm not negating moms, but you need dads in there too. Now, so Jesus decides to keep quiet. Listen, 
When someone, when you're talking with somebody and they're just angry and they get loud and they go on the attack, don't bother. They're not going to listen to you. If you want to control the situation and get your power back, walk away from them. They don't like that. Because they want to have power over you. They've learned to have power by getting loud. That's a child. Doesn't a child scream real loud to get stuff? That's a child. You walk away, you negate, you take away all their power. Jim, you've done that before many times. Many times. I give you permission to do that. They're just going to disrespect what you have to say. But if somebody wants to dialogue with you, and you can disagree, I mean, polar opposite disagreement, that's fine. I could dialogue with you, and we could disagree on everything. I could still go to lunch with you. I don't have a problem with that. As long as we get along, we're not yelling at each other, correct? We respect each other, correct? So that's wisdom right there. Now, does Jesus stay quiet? No. But I, 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 I railed you in on that one. Okay. Because what does Caiaphas ask him? Because it's not going good. And Jesus is not answering questions. And all the liars, it's not working. And so he asked Jesus. Put the verse. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. He asked Jesus. Keep it right there. He goes, tell me clearly, are you the son of God? Because now I got to get him. I got to get him on blasphemy because it's not working. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I guarantee you, all those religious leaders, they pooped their pants at that moment. <laughs> I, I get, Jim, you, did you say poop pants? I know. <laughs> bad, bad, Jim. But I'm, they probably did that, okay? Because, because Jesus, what he just told them was, because they asked him, are you the son of God? okay you want to know you said it yourself and then he adds I'm the son of man Jesus takes them to the scroll of Daniel they know what the scroll of Daniel says these guys are the leaders they've studied this all the time you and I fortunately have chapter breaks in Daniel and we can find it Daniel 7 verse 13 14 now what does it say there it talks about the Messiah who is going to come it talks about this Messiah who is the Son of Man. And this Messiah, this God-man, he is going to be the judge over everyone. Everyone will stand in judgment under him. Think about then what Jesus just said to him. He said, you said it yourself. I am God. I am the Messiah. And, and, think what he told him, because he knows that Old Testament verse, Caiaphas does. Jesus saying, I'm standing here, in judgment in front of you you're judging me but guess what one day you're going to stand in front of me everybody is does Jesus have power Can I, let me give you a little side note on that when you trust God with your future you don't have to panic in the present right am I right it can look bad. It can feel bad. But if I trust God in my future, for my future, I don't have to panic in the present. I don't have to do that. 
Jesus just admitted to him, I'm the God-man. I'm the Messiah. Watch what Caiaphas does next. Put up on the screen. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, that's a sign of well, morning discussion. He has blasphemy. Blasphemy, basic idea is you've insulted the honor of God. Whoa. Then he adds, what further need do we have of witnesses? In other words, I don't need these liars anymore. Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. Wow, quick verdict, right? Right? Violations. Do you know that before they could come to a verdict, they had to, this was their laws, this is how they operated. They had to go home for two days, eat, sleep, eat, sleep, then come back two days later and render verdict. Now, they all had a vote. No one person could just say guilty. They couldn't do that. They had to all vote. And the younger ones had to vote first on that council. Why? So they would not be persuaded by the older members. Did they do that for Jesus? And the answer is no. They violated those two things right there because they're rushing to judgment. Everything is rigged. Everything is pointed in a direction to crucify, to kill this man. And by the way, when they say he deserves death, they can't kill him. Because the Romans, a few years back, took away their power of capital punishment. When they did, the Jews ran out on the streets crying and crying. They said, God has forsaken us. Shiloh has not come. The scepter has departed. They were referencing Isaiah, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 49, I think verse 7. Because the power was taken away, the authority. But in reality, they said, Shiloh has not come. Shiloh is a word for the Messiah. Shiloh has not come. He was already in their midst. Jesus was already there. That's how much they're missing this whole thing. So they can't kill him. So now they've got to take him to Pontius Pilate because only Pilate can carry out the sentence of death. Now, let me cruise on in this same trial and let's now look at some side events that are going on in with Jesus and with Peter. Look at point three. They demand that Jesus prophesy while his prophecy is being fulfilled. Okay, let me read verses, uh, what am I at? 67 to 75. It says this. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists and others slapped him. Now, can you imagine seeing him on the day of judgment? I slapped you, I spit at you. Can you imagine? Verse 68, and said, prophesy to us, you Christ who is the one who hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. Oh, I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. He's a Galilean. He talks a little bit different, different 
I guess, um, slang, I don't know. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, and we know from all the Gospels, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know why he weeps bitterly? One of the Gospel writers adds, because you've got to get all the Gospel writers, because there's one Gospel, four different views of it. It says that when that rooster crowed, that Jesus looked out the window and he looked right at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter felt? Because earlier Peter said, I'll, I'll never deny you. Even have to die with you. Now I want to talk about one thing and I want to get into this whole Peter situation out in the garden, out in the courtyard. They sit there and they take Jesus and they hit him and they spit on him. Violence in the courtroom. Another violation. They put, we know from all the gospel writers, they put a piece of material over his head so that he can't see. And now they say, prophesy, who hit you? In other words, tell us which one of us is going to hit you or did hit you. Tell us. Come on, prophesy. You know what's amazing about that? He won't prophesy at that moment. But they want him to. And what's going on here, think about this. Earlier that night, Jesus gave a prophecy that a guy by the name of Peter would deny him three times before the cock crowed twice, right? So while they're saying prophesy and he won't, out in the courtyard, there's a guy out there named Peter who's fulfilling a prophecy of Jesus that he would deny Jesus. Is that amazing or what? I find stuff like that so fascinating that he won't prophesy there, but his prophecy is coming to pass in the courtyard. Now, let me talk about Peter. Now, Peter, he fails miserably, does he not? And I don't blame him. I probably would have done the same thing, but that little girl comes up to you. You were with Jesus, right? I don't even know him. But earlier he said, I'll die with Jesus. I'll go, why, why, why? What's wrong with Peter? What, what's, I mean, this is the guy that you, is going to lead the day of Pentecost and what's wrong why is he why is he fail so misery I think I think there's something in there that we can point to that gives us an understanding of why he fails to answer the question of Jesus to share his faith I think there's a reason because how do you know that all three persons asking him how do you know they were trying to get it maybe they honestly just wanted to know about Jesus ever think about that it's possible right but earlier in the story that we read, I think we find the answer. It says, that night Peter followed Jesus from a distance. Question. When Jesus called Peter, did he say, follow me or follow me from a distance? What did he say? He just said, follow me. He didn't say from a distance. He said, follow me. But now Peter's following from a distance. And I think that's why Peter failed that night. He's not engaged. He's not close. Let me share with you some things in my heart. Can I? Is that okay? Okay, good. Lock the doors. No, I'm just joking. 
just want to scare somebody or wake somebody up. I don't know. Um, I, I've been walking, I've been a Christian 42 years. Anybody been a Christian as long as that or longer? Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's a long time. And um, I've never seen things the way they are now, to be honest with you. I've never seen the world so upside down when it comes to what Christian values are versus the values they're pushing now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was talking to my wife in the car, or no, we were at, we were at lunch, and I, I was talking about growing up, and when I was in sixth grade at Garrison Elementary School, I remember I played Joseph. There was a, it was a Christmas play. I was Joseph in the play, and you know, they had it darken your face up for a beard and stuff like that because you're 11. <laughs> she goes, do you had, had that? I go, yeah. And then the school I came from, which was Kimball Elementary. Anyone remember Kimball Elementary? Okay, right there. Cindy, you don't do it. Oh, easy, Cindy, okay, it's okay. <laughs> well, Kimball Elementary is that the school on Buena Vista, what's it called now? Orange something? Orange Grove, yeah. That was my elementary school. And every year they had a Christmas play there. She goes, they did? I go, every year. You think they have that now? Oh, no, no. There's no way. That would offend everybody. So I'm thinking about this thing about Peter not answering, about the world I'm living in now, and I'm thinking, it's so different now. Here's what I thought. Here's what came to me. I think it's the Spirit of God. You and I, as a follower of Christ, we live in a world now that's syncretistic. It's always been there, but it's pretty prevalent now. What do I mean? We're like Moses. When Moses brings the people out of Egypt, they stop at Mount Sinai. Remember that? He goes up to get the Ten Commandments and the law. What do they do down in the valley? They build a golden calf, right? Now, if you read specifically the wording of Exodus 14, you find out that they did not eliminate Yahweh God. They just added to him. That's called syncretism. It's Jesus and everything else. Just splash them together. We live in that world now. Have you noticed? They just attach Jesus to everything and everything goes and this and that. And it's just like, and then they say things like, well, I believe this. Well, always ask a person, okay, what, what do you base that on? Because anybody can say, I believe or I feel. It doesn't matter what you believe. What do you base it on? And if somebody tells you, well, I'm an atheist, then I would ask them, then really, what do you base your morals on? Because there's nothing to base it on. Nothing. Now, but I live in this world. It's syncretistic. But I don't just live in a Moses world. I live in a Daniel world. Because Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he sieges Jerusalem, takes it, and he deports thousands back to Babylon, of which Daniel is one, he goes into the temple and he takes everything. Did you know that, that Nebuchadnezzar, when he would conquer different peoples and nations, he would get all their false idols. He'd bring them back to Babylon. He had like a, a museum of idols back in Babylon. That's what he collected. And what's interesting is when he got to the temple in Jerusalem of Yahweh God, he goes in there to find the idol. What'd he find? Nothing. Because you do not make a graven image of God, Correct? God is invisible. God is a spirit. And so Daniel's deported. When Daniel goes back to Babylon as a teenage kid, 
He goes there and all these idols and all these temples, he's a good Jewish boy, believes in one God and then this whole city is filled with all these different idols, polytheism. Is that a world that we live in now? You better believe it. There's all kinds of false idols and false religions and anything goes and, 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 and this is the truth. You may say, that's not true. I mean, it, just kind of sit back and look at it. Everybody has rights except for the Christian. They're tolerant towards everything, but not towards what we believe. Have you ever noticed that? That's because there's a real devil, okay? I don't really care what you think about this, but I want to use it, the background story we're going to share next. You know, we all, we all, we've seen too much of it. We've seen too much of the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock, right? How many are just tired of seeing? Everybody's got to chime in on everything. It's like, can you just stop now? You know, let them deal with it the way they're going to deal with it, okay? But I'm like, can you just stop with everything now? Gosh, he know he made a mistake. He knows it. He knows he could have got arrested. He knows it. that was an assault. We all, everybody knows it. But here's the thing. I read a few things before I said, I'm done reading. It's too much. It's too much. Stop it. When it happened, and after the fact, Denzel Washington went up to him, and, um, oh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Denzel Washington and Tyler Perry are very strong Christian men. I don't know if you know that, but they're solid Christian men. Denzel Washington goes up and he tells him this. He says, it was something like, at your greatest moments, the devil is looking to take you down. It was great wisdom, wasn't it? Great wisdom. And I'm not, I don't, nothing I've ever read says Will Smith is a Christian, so I'm not saying he is. But I know Denzel is, and I know Tyler Perry are. So Will Smith, when he accepts the award for best actor, he uses that same line. Now, I read one article, and I was like, that sums up our world. It was a Spanish director. And they asked him about it. He had won an award that night. He said, listening to Will Smith say, at your greatest moment in life, that's where the devil goes after you. He said, I feel like I was watching a cult. And the interview went on to say, this man said, there is no devil. There's none of these things. And I thought, that's our culture. That's our culture. We live in a world now in America where Christianity is rapidly becoming the deep, deep, deep minority where it once was the majority. And so we have to be ready because people are going to ask us questions. Peter has asked the question. And in our syncretistic, polytheistic, atheistic world, and we've already done series on this, we have to be ready to answer questions. We can't just say, oh, I don't know, or I'm not sure. You can't do that. You can't do that. Let me, can I take you deeper into my heart? Can I do that? I don't do this often, but I'm going to share with you some of the things that, my wife knows that sometimes I tell, I go, sometimes I just feel like I'm going to scream. I just want to let, I just want to stand up and preach and just tell, and I know I can't. <laughs> but that's the way I'm geared. And so you see a very tempered down Jim Del Campo on Sundays, okay? 
and I've learned to walk tempered down because uh, things really bother me. And it's all over the place. When I became a Christian, I didn't want to be one. Set the record straight there. But then I gave my life to Christ. I followed him. And from the moment I gave my life to Christ, after they shared with me for five years, I put my foot on the, on the pedal of that Christian car, and I, I've gone 100% since. I'm sure sometimes I dropped down to 90%, 85%, but I've been up there the whole time. And I've never backed off it. And so, this is my heart now. It's really difficult for me. It's very difficult for me when I see Christians don't give 100%. It's difficult. And I'm wondering, do you understand what's at stake? Do you really understand this kingdom of God stuff? Have I failed in sharing with you what it's all about? You can't live it at 30 or 40%. See, Peter's following at a distance. He's not close. And that's what happens. My wife and I, every night, one of the regularities in our prayer time is I pray for my nation for the Spirit of God to pour out on America because we need millions of people to come to Christ because I have grandkids now and I worry about them. I won't be here forever. I pray for my grandkids that they will be great spiritual leaders in the midst of darkness, that they will hunger for the Word of God, they'll be curious for the Word of God, that they will lead many people to Christ even in elementary school, that they won't go to the right or to the left. I pray it right now. I plead the blood. I even pray, you can ask my wife, I say, I pray for my grandkids who are born and the ones who are not even here yet because I want them to be solid and I want them to be strong. My little, my little, my, my youngest, Nolan, he's the boy. He's three months, three and a half months. When I get him, I put my hands on his head. I say, you're going to preach. You're going to stand up. And you're going to be bold as a lion. You're going to be bold as a lion. And I pray that now. But I pray for all my grandkids because this is our nation. And I want to see turn to God and we can't do it any other way. We can't be like Peter. See, we've got to get back to the book of Acts where it says we're to be the witnesses of God. We're to be the ones sharing faith. And not in a mean way. We're to love everybody. But we're to share this thing in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the entire world. But I look around and sometimes the John the Baptist in me gets the best of me and I'm thinking, oh, we need boldness again. We need to get it back again. We can't be like Peter, following at a distance. We can't do that. We've got to engage. I've got to finish now, okay? You know I like movies and I'm goofy. Is that okay to finish that way? Okay. And it's not going to end. The, older, the more older I get, it's going to be worse, okay? Just see <laughs> It'll always be goofy. But in my, I see movies and I see illustrations and, you know, that's just what works in my head. So I'm really excited because next month, Darren, we get to see Top Gun 2, Maverick, right? <laughs> How many are excited about that? Am, right, bro? We've been waiting like, what, 36 years for this? And then two years right now, it's been delayed? I mean, we've been at home crying Maverick, Maverick, you know? And so... It's like, okay, we're, I get to see him. But how many know the first movie, Top Gun? How many know that? Okay, okay, right. Great movie, huh? 
A little corny nowadays, right, Christian? Yeah, I heard about your comment about Top Gun, okay. Yeah, the younger millennials. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hello, <laughs> I hear those millennial voices out there. But in Top Gun, in case you don't know the movie, I've given you 36 years, now I'm going to blow it for you. But Tom Cruise is maverick, and he's a, a Navy aviator. And he, him, they're, they're doing maneuvers, and, and he flies through a jet wash, and the pl- it goes out of control. And so you have to eject and goose dice. And it messes with Maverick's head. And he's not the same. And finally, he's convinced to graduate. He's convinced to graduate. And there's a great side story that he was always told something about his dad that was not true, and it really messed with him. Isn't it amazing how we can believe a lie at a young age and it can mess with us for years of our life? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why the Bible's true and you need the truth of God's word to uncork the lies in our head. So he, he graduates. And then the movie takes you 24 hours later. He's sent to the Middle East because there's a crisis with Russia. <laughs> what a shock. But a crisis with, with MiGs out there. And, and so ICE goes out first with another pilot, another uh, jet fighter. And one of them gets shot down. And ICE is by himself. And there's like two, then four, then six MiGs. These are Russian planes. And ICE is in trouble. And they send Maverick. And Maverick, he's, he's out there, and he finally gets there. And what happens to Maverick is, he flies through a jet wash. The very same thing that happened that killed his buddy. And now his head is spinning. And he, you know, it's like, how many know that things from the past can trigger you in the present? How many know that? That's why you got to walk again in God's truth so the past does not have control over the present. These are great illustrations in there. And so he's struggling and he's, and he's disengaged and everybody's mad. ICE is trying to evade all these. Back at the aircraft carrier, they're angry and all the expletives are flying. And, and there's Maverick in that plane. He's got Goose's dog tags, his co-pilot that died. And he's saying, Goose, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me, Goose. And finally, Maverick, who is disengaged, re-engages. And he goes back into the dogfight. And he shoots down like two, I don't know, two or three of the MiGs. And the MiGs, as he's saying, they're, they're booging out, okay? They're booging out. And Maverick saves the day. And it made me really happy because when he re-engaged, it meant that I get Maverick part two. I get Top Gun two in my life because he re-engaged. Let me tell you what that means for you and I. If you've been living 20%, 30% Christianity, you're disengaged, following from afar, you could change it. You can re-engage. And you can live a great part two of your Christianity. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old you are. You can engage again and go all in because Christianity demands you go all in. It is not your life. It's not your life. It belongs to God. And it'll always belong to God. And the moment you and I get that in our thick little skulls, Christianity is going to make a lot more sense. And the kingdom of God will be that much more dynamic. And it will spread itself. And will reach people more and more. Because we've re-engaged. And we've re-engaged for the rest of our lives. I'm done. Let's pray.
God. You, you, you challenge us all through this word of God to be fully engaged. You never called Peter to follow from a distance. You called him to just follow you. Close. Stay there. And he fails because he followed at a distance. Here in this room, out there watching, wherever you're at, I think you understand what we're saying. You gotta re-engage. You gotta make this thing count. It's time to live it like you've never lived it before. Because we live in a world that is so different. That is syncretistic and polytheistic. And here we are, like Peter. People are going to ask us questions. What are we going to do about that? Shrink back? Uh, I don't know. Get scared? Are we going to stand there and say, let me, let me explain it to you. Let me explain who Jesus is to you. And then let that word of God rattle in people's minds. Now, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, I'm just glad you're here. You're watching at home, you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're watching. But you know what? I want you to become a follower of Christ. See, what does that mean? It means that you're going to give your life to Jesus. You're going to surrender. And you're going to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And you're going to make Him the Lord of your life and the only God, because He is the only God. There is no one else. They're just false idols. And your name's going to be recorded in heaven. See, the New Testament writer Paul writes, If I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, I will be saved. It's an ancient creed that was put into the Scriptures. It predates the written word, but it is the word. So I'm going to give you this great opportunity to put your faith in Christ for the first time, to begin your walk with Him for the rest of your life. Or maybe you backslid. You're operating at 15, 20%, if that. Maybe 40. And it's time to say, you know what? I've got to get back to 100%. I've got to re-engage. I can't follow at a distance. I've got to be right there. He said to follow me right with Him. Talk is cheap. But if you'd like to rededicate and really dive back in and today's the day too so I'm going to ask you to do this if you'd like to give your life to Christ put your faith in Him become a follower of Christ or you'd like to rededicate your life do this look up at me right now as a sign between you me and God look up at me on, online or in person here and I'm going to look back at you once our eyes meet you can close them but do it right now God bless you God bless you God bless you God bless you God bless you. 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 Uh huh. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. Yep. Now, those who looked up at me, online, in person, I'm going to say a prayer. And you repeat that prayer out loud now, after me. You've got to believe it. 
And by believing it, meaning you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah and God. Those in this room are already Christians, say it out loud with me. We're going to repeat, all of you repeat after me. Say, Christians, repeat it. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on a cross, taking my wrath, carrying my sins, and washing them all away. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I know I'm saved. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray for you. God, I, I'm the Holy Spirit. I know you now dwell in them. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that everybody surrenders to you. They surrender to you according to this word. That we're not the God of our life anymore. God is God. That's a good thing. He's smarter than us. Let the word of God guide you. If you don't have a Bible, those you looked up, get one at the, the Welcome Center in the lobby. We have plenty of them. Read the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years. Read about the one who saved you. Stay in there. Don't go to the Old Testament yet. But know that you know that you know that you know that you're born again. You are saved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you that all of heaven rejoices in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen. amen. Stand up with me, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.